All right, let's stand to read God's word. Exodus 20, verse 7. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord your God will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Be seated. (laughs) In his article, Meticulous Scribe, Trusted Manuscripts, apologist Josh McDowell describes how an ancient Hebrew scribe would have copied out a manuscript for the book of Genesis. He writes, in following typical Jewish tradition, this scribe would have dipped his new quill in the freshly prepared ink and uttered each word aloud before he wrote, in the beginning. He would have recited as he uttered each word aloud before he wrote it, and he would have painstakingly formed the letters, but he would have stopped before completing the last letter of the word just before the word God, because according to tradition, he would need to put down his quill and ceremoniously wash his hands. It was critical to purify himself and sanctify the ink that would pen the name of God. In this ancient scribal process, we see the extent that God's people have gone to through the years in order to honor God's name as holy. They refuse to be flippant, let alone vulgar, when handling the divine name. This doesn't mean that we need to keep a bottle of Purell tandy to cleanse our fingers every time we send off a text or tweet that references God. But I do say this to remind us that while the third commandment can seem like a small thing, an easy command to keep or not such a big deal to break, It is not those things. This commandment shows us that we ought to reverence the one in whom we live and move and have our being. To one whom we owe so much, we ought to reverence him. How could we repay him with complacency, disrespect, or nonchalance about his honor? How much more should we honor him as he's placed his name on us by making us his covenant people? So in order to ensure that we're giving proper honor to the name of God, we'll be looking at three things that this command means for us. Those three things are, one, don't make God's name your curse word. Two, God's name is not to be mocked by false worship. Three, God's name should be on our lips often in reverent praise. Number one is probably the extent to which most of us thought about this command growing up. If you grew up in a house like I did, you knew there were dire consequences if you were caught letting loose so much as a single OMG. Of course, this command means so much more for us than this simple proscription. Don't use his name as a curse word. Got it. But we should not lose sight of the fact that it does not mean less either. In my work with child evangelism, I frequently encounter children who never really hear the name of Jesus Christ, except on those occasions when dad smashes his fingers in the door or mom is angry about the mess they made. So I tell my students, you wouldn't want someone to use your name that way, would you? In the show Community, which is about a group of college friends and a study group, and one of them, Britta, is prone to getting herself into humorous but often disastrous situations through poor decisions or sheer clumsiness, In one episode, she finds that her friends have begun using her name as a byword for occasions when someone has royally messed things up. Man, you really Britted it this time. Or, now don't Britted this thing up. Understandably, she is hurt. Rather than using her name positively, her friends have tarnished it. Like her, we too would be uncomfortable if members of the body used our names similarly. Josh, dang it, or Hunter H. Sample. 
to express anger or disappointment? Well, how much more should we take pains to avoid offending a holy God to whom we owe our very existence? We are the creature, he is the creator. Let us not forget that his holiness means more than his moral perfection. He is utterly set apart from us, perfect in every attribute. So to misuse his name is to make profane that which ought to be most sacred. The angels who stand in his presence, even now crying, holy, 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 would never dare to desecrate the divine name. When Isaiah glimpsed the Lord's glory, he fell before him on his face, crying, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. God is also our Father. He has adopted us into his family. He makes us co-heirs with Christ and partakers of the divine nature. So how can we, upon whom he has lavished such grace, show ingratitude by blaspheming against his holy name? We are his covenant people. We know he deserves all honor and worship. We need to ask ourselves, what's our heart posture when we're speaking to God and about him? Is there a reverence and awe or is there a carelessness about God's name? We should endeavor to show the utmost reverence. However, while we must always be reverent, this does not mean that we must always be dreary when discussing God. We can and should be exuberantly joyful when we speak of his love or his favor. In fact, we can be careless in our solemnity. If we're solemn yet insincere, well, we misuse God's name every bit as much as if we were to desecrate it as a curse. Well, this brings us to our second point. God's name is not to be mocked by false worship. Of course, we use the CSB here, but I would bet that, like me, some of you probably grew up having memorized this verse originally in the King James, which says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. The Hebrew word being translated here as vain, which I won't try to pronounce, means empty, false, worthless. If we are calling on God not to honor him, but doing it deceitfully, then our worship is empty, it's false. False worship empties God's name of its worth and its honor. It's taking his name, but it's literally vain, vanity. Those who worship insincerely are those of whom Jesus would say, quoting Isaiah, they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In other words, they are fakers, liars. We can also give false worship or be careless in our solemnity when we perform deeds of worship as if it merits God's favor. Quiet times, hearty hymn singing, acts of service, these are all good things, but God is honored when we do it to his glory alone. If our worship becomes more performative, we will find that we lack any inward devotion and our hearts will grow cold. Friends, we must not be like those formulaic legalists to whom God said through the prophet Isaiah, stop bringing useless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of solemn assemblies, I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. I hate your new moons and prescribed festivals. They have become a burden to me. I am tired of putting up with them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen. If we're just going through the motions, we need to be honest with ourselves and God. Tell a church member who can encourage us, pray with us, as we continue to worship in faith while praying that God will change our hearts. We must seek fellowship rather than wallow in isolation. 
We must pursue our relationship with the Lord diligently and not neglect those means of grace whereby the Spirit stokes our affections for Him. This brings us to our third and final point. God's name should be on our lips often in reverent praise. Of course, every one of these Ten Commandments is not merely a proscription against something which we must not do, but each one also has positive implications for things which we must do. In this case, we need to speak reverently of God and also give Him proper credit. I remember when I was a little boy at the church where we were attending at the time, there was a fellow there and he drove a motorcycle and he wore leather jackets to church and he was really cool and he had a license plate on his motorcycle that said J-E-S-U-S. And I thought he was pretty awesome. But uh, he would sometimes startle me with his enthusiasm because he loved to talk about his friend Jesus with you any chance he got. So we'd just be standing in the church library or bookstore and he'd pick up a CD or maybe a book that had like a nature scene on it and he'd say, look at this. My father made this. My father made this. And that's how he talked. And uh, I, try to, I try to remember him, and, and I think his enthusiasm is commendable. And we don't have to be annoying about it, but we shouldn't kid ourselves that we can be some kind of secret agent for Jesus. We should be open with the people in our life that we have a love for God and about why. Give his name the full import of its worth and honor by letting people understand just how much Jesus means in your life. We ought to be unashamed of God's testimony. And of course, we ought not forsake the assembling of ourselves together where we can praise with the body. Every corporate gathering is a chance to honor his name loudly. Additionally, we should look for when we have clear opportunity to honor his name as others honor us. You're such a great mom, how do you do it? You know something, you're the nicest neighbors we have. In such times, don't forget to honor the name of the Lord. One of my all-time favorite filmmakers, Frank Capra, who made such classics as Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Platinum Blonde, and indisputably the greatest Christmas movie ever made, It's a Wonderful Life. He was once interviewed for an article, and the interviewer asked Frank, how do you do it? How do you make movies that are so moving? Well, Frank proceeded to talk about his process, how he directed the actors, where he placed the lights, his techniques of cinematography. In his long answer, though, there was one thing that he did not name, which was his scriptwriters. The next day, his scriptwriters delivered a stack of blank pages to his office, bound like a script. On top was a note which read, Dear Frank, make something moving out of this. We can give all the practical advice we want to our friends, but we should never forget to honor the name of the one who molded us, gave us every talent, redeemed us, sanctified us. We know that whatever good comes from us is not us, but Christ in us. Let us honor his name by giving him his due credit. We're usually very concerned about our name being honored, but do we have a greater concern for God's name to be reverenced by us? He made us, and he made us his own. He was merciful to cover our sins, and then grace upon grace, he stamped his name on us. So will others look at us and see that stamp? Do we live a life and speak in such a way that others will look at us and conclude that we reverence God's name? Briefly before I leave you, I must discuss what it means that the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. What does this mean for those of us who are in Christ? We must admit we are guilty of this. We have misused his name in many ways, but though God did not condemn us, but offers us mercy instead, yet God did condemn this sin in the flesh. He just didn't condemn 
us. He condemned Jesus in our place. He himself bore every slander and blasphemy against his name in his body on the cross. Three days later, he arose. After this, he ascended into heaven, where he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And now we, trust in, who trust in him, receive his righteousness. For one who offers us so great a salvation, how can we do otherwise but endeavor to reverence and honor his name, and never to take it in vain? Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would keep it always before our eyes how awesome that you are, how amazing your love is in adopting us into your family. And I pray that the knowledge of these things will give us proper reverence and that we would not misuse your name in light of these facts. It's in Jesus Christ's name that I pray, amen.